0: When we think of entrepreneurship and we think of starting stuff, we think, how can I be innovative? How can I be new? In reality, in order to make a lot of money, it's how do I get locked into this to to the point to where, like, it's going to be a pain in the ass to go anywhere else. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. All right, everyone, we've got a good episode. We're going to talk about Class Ring. The Class Ring business shockingly brings in close to a billion dollars a year for a company that you might have heard of, but we're going to do a breakdown of them. Um, what, What else is there? We're going to talk about stretching gyms. I'm a huge fan of paying $100 and going to the Stretch Lab. We're going to break that business down what else are we going to talk about?
1: We talk about the business of ephemeral tattoos. So tattoos that only last year. This is a trend that I'm watching. And, uh, and we talk about some some of the pod stuff, how we're looking at YouTube, how uh, how we're thinking about content right now. And then last but not least, we talk about a couple of businesses that are interesting, kind of Google Google-based businesses. I call them couch cushion businesses because it's like, these little things in the cracks that you that you don't really you don't really once you go look in the couch cushion you you, you find some money but um, you don't really think about these and some of them are scams some of them are not we talk about those at the end
0: yeah in my opinion most of them are scams and we actually do a breakdown of them around the fiftieth minute of this podcast so wait till the end and we'll get to it you'll love it talk soon did you see did you listen to the episode that I released today or today's Monday uh it's uh, did you listen to that no what is it so I consumed like eight or nine like pretty interesting pieces of content last week or and I talked about four or five of them did you see this guy named Ben Mula, who I talked about
1: no who's that
0: okay so Ben Mula, I put it in the doc if you've heard the Monday episode today this is a little bit of a repeat but I cannot stop watching this guy he's this big old fat guy like 400 pounds fat because he's probably like 6'3". And he's disgusting. He's like smokes cigarette. <laughs> and he like looks like he smells. And he like always hits people like on the back real hard. He's just gregarious and in your face. And on the surface, he appears like incredibly dislikable and cocky. And I love him. He turns out to be he seems pretty quite charming. And he's a real estate tycoon down in South Florida. And all should he does. Yeah, uh,
1: should I Google this guy? Ben Mula?
0: Yeah, all the stuff. photos of him. Like it just, it's an immediate turnoff. But then you like get into the videos and he's been, he's basically, he's like a successful guy who's now just starting to do YouTube. He's probably in his mid fifties. And so he's not like a YouTuber who, you know, he's, he's does it the right way where he's successful and now is doing YouTube. Very fascinating. I can't stop watching this guy. You see what he looks like?
1: Yeah. So he's a, that's a Ben Mala is his name. So Mala. he, uh, he looks like, um, what's, Joe Rogan's friend's name, Joey Diaz. Joey Diaz. He looks like Joey Diaz does real estate. Joey Diaz moves to uh, Florida and does real estate. And
0: he he wears like gaudy clothes and he's sitting there smoking Marlboros outside of like a Ramada Inn or like a holiday inn that he's about to buy for $20 million. But then he gets into like a $500,000 Bentley. And so it's like a really funny juxtaposition. Really interesting guy. Great advice on real estate and business. Nice. Very fun YouTube. You'll have to start watching this guy. He's brilliant.
1: I'm going to subscribe.
0: He's he's beautiful. And that's actually what we need to do with our podcast. Our podcast, actually, I'm going to, I got to figure out how to do this. We need to become a YouTube channel that happens to have a pod. Do you know what I mean?
1: (laughs) Yes, I know what you mean. Uh, Explain why you say that though. So for one, I'm
0: just, I've been a YouTube fan for five years. I've been a paying subscriber and it's my life. If it's not on you, like I don't, I only watch
1: YouTube,
0: um, including YouTube TV though, which is basically, which is TV. But so that's a little cheating. But the discoverability is so good. And I've been watching Gary Tan's video. You know, Gary Tan? Yeah, yeah. I He's wonderful. I don't think his content is any better than us, but I think it's packaged better than us. For sure. And there's a lot to learn from that. And I think that whenever I see a video he, he does, I'm like, oh man, I totally could have done that. He just packaged it in such a wonderful way. And the discover, discoverability on YouTube is significantly better than
1: podcasts. For sure. And... um it's just more fun. It's more fun to watch a YouTube video. And like, I I don't know if we have it kind of skewed because we're able to, um, we have YouTube red or whatever the premium thing's called. So we're able to go in the background and basically make it a podcast whenever we want. I think for a lot of people, they don't pay for that thing. Uh, so that's probably the main difference. But once you pay for that, YouTube is just amazing. It's so good.
0: Yeah. We're getting to make that shift. I'm going to work on that this week, actually. And then one last quick update. One thing that I'm trying to do that I've actually done for the last, tell me what you think about this. I've done it for the last five or six days and I didn't mean to do it at first, but now I don't want to break it. I've walked around 20,000 steps a day for the last about <laughs> five, six days.
1: What are you using um, to track it?
0: Well, just my iPhone. So I was using the health app. Then I downloaded like a, uh, a what's it called? A PETA, what, what's the, um, anyway, I downloaded an app for it. Gotcha. And it's awesome. A pedometer, that's what it is, a pedometer.
1: All right, it's time for a little ad break. I got to tell you about HubSpot's HubSpot for Startups program. So if you're a startup and you're trying to grow, this thing is pretty great. You get a huge discount, 30 to 90% off on a tool that your whole sales and marketing team can use to help you scale as you grow. We use this in our companies. I think you should too. They have tons of resources. They got great customer support, tons of integration with popular apps that you use. You got to check it out. So it's the HubSpot for Startups program. You can check it out at HubSpot.com slash startups.
0: It's awesome. Have you ever walked? Have you ever tried to do like 10 to 15,000 a day,
1: <laughs> bro, walking, that's walking is the new running. No, uh, I don't know. I've i have never really liked step counters. I always found them to be like kind of underwhelming. So for example, I was like, you know, like, the, I've got like a Fitbit or whatever the first one of the early ones of those were and I hit 10,000 steps on what I felt like was a very lazy day. And immediately in my head, I was like, Oh, this is for like, old sedentary people. And, uh, I can't use this as like a barometer of success for me, but you're really fit and you seem to care that you hit 20,000 steps. Who cares, right? Isn't like an hour of intense exercise really what you want and not 20,000 steps?
0: Yes and no. So there's pros and cons. So the con is that for walking, the amount that I'm walking, it takes forever, like three hours. Just three hours of straight walking. Uh, Some regards, uh, that's a pro because it's fun to be out there and seeing stuff. I'm in a new place exploring, so it's fun. But the pro is also... Uh, So basically, if you run 10 miles, that will like if you run 10 miles really fast, that will take you 60 minutes, right? If you walk 10 miles, that's going to take you three, four hours. But you can actually burn the same amount of calories doing it, which is kind of interesting. It takes the same amount of energy to move your body that distance. But when you walk that much, you don't get that hungry. The problem, whenever I run a lot or whenever I work out a lot, I get really hungry, and, hungry. I out, yeah. and I and I out eat the calories that I consumed. With walking, I haven't done that. I don't I, I don't <laughs> out eat the calories, um, like I don't get starving. So it's been like a really easy way to slim down. Anyway, I just thought I thought I'd bring that up. You want to get into it?
1: Uh, yeah, let's do it.
0: All right, which one do you want to go with first? You, um, you know, Jostin's, right.
1: Well, actually, you just on your random life updates. So two things on that. Uh, one. I don't know where this came from, but over the weekend, uh, I guess you were talking about step counting, and I was just remembering there's this little clip I watched on YouTube from The Office about when Dwight gets a standing desk. I don't know if you watched The Office, but uh, yeah, have you ever course. seen this? Do you? I don't know if you remember this. Probably not. It's pretty obscure. But, a
0: deaf dude, I, I mean, I, I'm like i am mo- I'm, I'm a normal 30 year old that I've, I could quote every single office. Right.
1: So, so Dwight gets a standing desk, and like everybody who gets a standing desk, like it's like awesome for 15 minutes, and then you start doing the thing where like you're on one foot while you're like kind of letting the other. Foot like chill for a second. You're like stretching out your ankle, and then you're doing the other side, and then you're kind of like squatting a little bit because you're tired of standing. And um and they're basically like, oh wow, Dwight. You know, at first he's like shitting on everybody, like, oh, you're sitting, you're, you know, this is. He, he goes, uh, I feel like I'm working in a suicide cult, like because you guys are all deciding to sit, and um and so then they like turn the tables on him when they know he's getting tired, and they're like, Dwight, um, wow, man, I can't believe you you've made such a great decision. You're for sure gonna just. Do this forever right like there's no way you go back on this right and he's like of course not but he's like secretly like fatiguing really hard from the standing desk and uh anyway so they sort of like guilt shame him and he like ends up with this um little like f- like hidden stool in his pants so that he can like stand uh he can like sit while he's like pretending to stand um and so that reminds me of the step counting thing which are these like little phases that everybody goes through ever you're just like you know what i need st- i need to I need to hit my ten thousand steps. Like I feel like everybody has this phase of their life where they like get into that. They buy the device, they do the thing for a bit, and then they like get off of it. Most people do at least. Uh, But anyways, the reason I say this is over the weekend, I was supposed to be working because I got back from this trip, and I was supposed to be working. And instead, I was just watching a bunch of content. I was watching, um, you know, you know, Aaron Sorkin. So I was Uh, like,
0: yeah, I mean, the famous director.
1: Yeah, writer, uh, He you know, kind of like, I don't know if he's producer, director, or writer, but all three maybe. He he, he created West Wing, yeah. Newsroom, uh, the Social Network movie. And he's like amazing. He's brilliant. He's known for his dialogue. So I was just kind of like trying to branch out, trying to learn about what is, how do you even write dialogue? What is that? What, what makes it great? Why is this guy so much better than everybody else? So I was watching a bunch of his videos where he talks about how he does it. And it really made me want to write a TV show and not to like make a TV show or make a career out of it, but I just want to write one episode. And so I decided I'm going to write an episode of The Office and I'm going to release it. So that's my challenge for this next 30 days. In the next 30 days, I'm going to write an episode and it's just going to be text and it's going to be, I'm just going to steal all the characters from The Office and uh, I'm going to see what I can do. And I think this is going to be a lot of fun and I'm going to release it to uh, anybody who I guess follows me on Twitter or on my newsletter or something like that
0: my prediction is that it will at worst be mildly good i think you're good i think you're good at it i think i've never good done it
1: right so like that's the beginner part of it but i think i could be i am also like i think you could i think I'm, I'm like cocky about it i feel like i can do a good job did you ever read um this guy ross wrote an episode of silicon valley so this guy who used to he was an early facebook employee he's the creator of mozilla the browser uh, um, yeah or, or firefox or whatever uh or no, his name's Blake, I think. Blake Ross is. Yeah, name. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So he went, he, he just like for fun, wrote an episode of uh Silicon of the Silicon Valley HBO show. And it's amazing. If, if if you've never read this, you should definitely Google this and read it. It's and you'll if you watch the show, when you read it, it's like as good as a normal episode of the show. It's crazy. And so I was very inspired by that. I was like, man, what a what a polymath, right? Like the guy can create a browser, early Facebook employee. And is just able to like write a screenplay basically on his first try, which was I thought incredible.
0: I think you I think at worst it, it's gonna be pretty mildly good. I think at best you could actually have a home run. That that's my prediction for how, how this is gonna be. And uh so today's July nineteenth. You yeah. now have now August you're on 19th. the ball. Well, well, no, let's do August, the end of August. August, what is there, 28 days? How many days are there 30, in August? 31 days. All right, you have to August 31. And and then uh, now you're on the and, hook. And I-
1: in general, I'm thinking about content, like, okay, content strategy, because I'm kind of like, like, I haven't been posting much on Twitter or anything like that. And I feel like, Once I started getting really into Twitter, I just noticed all the other kind of like Twitter thread wannabe people like me out there who were just like doing the same thing. And it was really a turnoff. Like I enjoyed doing it and I enjoyed the results of it.
0: That's what I told you. But
1: I hated that everybody else was doing it. It made me feel like such a schmuck. Uh, I felt like, you know, going to a club and order and and then being like, you need to get a table if you want into this club. It's like, oh, okay, here's my credit card. I guess I'll pay a thousand times what the bottle costs. Like that that was the, the, I felt like a big chump the first time I did bottle service. And the second time I felt like a chump in life was when I was doing Twitter threads of, you know, generic business advice like everybody else. And so now I think I'm going to go, I'm going to zig and zag the opposite direction where I'm just going to go with like, I'm going to do a few like, what I think are pretty badass pieces of content that are extremely challenging for me. And if they flop, they flop. But I'm going to like go ham on them. Like I'm going to, you know, like I'm going to write a rap song or I'm going to write a screenplay. I'm going to like like try to create something that's like much more uh, intense and possibly awesome.
0: I I think you're right. And I'm going to take credit because I wrote about this and I talked on this podcast about this about six or seven months ago. I was like, these threads are killing me. I think longer <laughs> form blog posts are going to be coming because everyone's like, I want to start a newsletter. I want to get popular right. on Twitter. I'm like, all right, great. Do that. I actually think that there could be a bigger opportunity to create a more in-depth blog post. I, I, yes. I have I had a, I have a feeling that this is kind of what humans are craving at the or Or like, this is like, a, I don't know what people are craving. I mean, I think Every type yeah, of content can will Can I release
1: one-tenth as much content, but have it be 10 times as good? And because of that, stand out from the crowd and have more fun. Like Because I'm not like constantly just doing quick hits. I'm like trying to do great work each time, which I think is harder, but more fun, maybe.
0: Something that I've been thinking about is related to content. Because I, I ask myself all the time about how you can... I, I like repackaging content. There's a few things that I've always been interested in content. So there's this thing with email... So a lot of people think of email as like 2,300 words that you can fit in there or whatever. I forget what the space is. It's a certain megabyte space. But you should actually think of it like, I'm just going to make these numbers up. These aren't right. It's 150 megabytes. And it just so happens that 2,500 words is 150 megabytes. But what else can you tell in that story? And there's some interesting technology that I've tinkered with. And we've never gotten into it at the hustle, but I think we should. So you can actually host a GIF on your own server And this might change with Apple's new update, but you can make it so when you send someone an email, you can have like a 30-second GIF on there. And a a GIF is basically a video with text. Yep. um, Which is the same thing as Instagram without sound, right? It's the same thing. And what what I've always wanted to do was to put that on there and then have a part one and then you tell at the end of the part one, at the end of the twenty second thing, you said, "All right, all right, now hit refresh." And you actually hit refresh, and part two shows up on your.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: And I've always wanted to do things like that. Like I think that's an interesting medium. I think that could like be hacked and be, and you could have a really really cool storytelling. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I, I I would suggest someone try that on email. It is possible. Like it's technically possible to do that, and I think that could be really cool. Uh, another thing is I've always asked. If you were using Twitter for a longer form blog post, what would it look like if you had a blog post on Twitter that was something like 500 tweets long? Right. Um. I've been thinking about like what what would like how do you (laughs) hack the how do you hack the the, the rules? Yeah, that's kind of interesting to me. Um. Anyway. All right. Let's Uh,
1: let's get into it. Okay. So that's my content. Uh, I'm putting my stake in the ground. I'm announcing it publicly. So now I'm committed to having to do it.
0: All right, everyone, a quick break, because I want to fill you in on a little experiment that I'm doing. I've got a new project. It's called Money Wise. It's a personal finance podcast for high net worth people or young people who are on their way to becoming high net worth. When I made a little bit of money, I didn't even know how much money I should be spending each month. Should it be 10000 30000 50000 And I didn't really have a lot of people to ask. So I created a podcast called Money Wise because I wanted to figure out what are some of the things that people who have a lot of cash and who have a high net worth, what do they do with it? The first episode is with a friend of mine. He sold his company for $200 million when he was 31 years old. He gets super transparent about his monthly expenses, his portfolio, how it impacts his happiness, everything. And so I want you guys to check it out. It's called Money Wise. That's one word. You can find it on my Twitter bio. I'm The Sampar, Or you can just type in Money Wise on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. All right, back to the pod.
1: Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about the HubSpot Podcast Network. If you like podcasts like this, you should check out some other cool podcasts. One is called Business Made Simple. It's hosted by Donald Miller and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. And what he does is he makes it easy to take the mystery out of growing your business. There's an episode that you should check out called What You Should Put in a Job Description to Get the Perfect Hire. And in this episode, Donald Miller looks at the whole hiring process and how important it is to emphasize both the the positive attributes and the drawbacks to future candidates. And you'll learn why being self-aware as a leader will help you avoid hiring disasters. So check it out. Go listen to Business Made Simple wherever you get your podcasts. Do you want to uh, talk about, let's talk about stretching labs we, or stretching yeah. gyms. Can we talk about that? Yeah, let's do it. Because you were you, talking about walking and this is actually where I was going to transition to, which is kind of like go the, uh, the slow exercise movement. So I was working out with somebody who's, I think they're 41 and... I was like they're a former bodybuilder and I was like so um you know so like what's it what's what are you working on nowadays you're trying to get like shredded or like build muscle what's the he's like bro just function I was like what and you've been talking about this mobility training he's like I have a personal trainer he's like we he's like he pointed at the bench press he pointed at the like kind of like the stretching table and it was like I want to spend more time there, not there. Um, and I was like, interesting. And and by the way, I woke up with like massive shoulder pain today. So I'm all about it right now. But um, I noticed there's a trend. So I'm, I have this, this is my segment called trend watching. I got two trends today. So trend watching, the first one is stretching lab. So I, did, I never really heard of this, but there's gyms that dedicated to stretching. I don't know if you've ever been to one. One is called, well, yeah, one is called stretch lab. It's a franchise. I think they have like thousand locations in just like five years or something crazy like that. So Definitely like franchising pretty hardcore nationwide. And then there's another one. Um, I like the name of this one, Stretch Relief, which is kind of like stress relief. And it's based in New York. And uh, it was like a physical place, but then with COVID, now they do like online, whatever. But I'm kind of into this. You so place you go, and you're not it's not yoga, it's not Pilates, it's like it's not cycling, it's not spin class, it's not uh, you know, high intensity training. It's another one, stretching. And like I just think there's a market for all of these. What do you think about this? You've definitely thought about mobility and stretching a lot. I am
0: obsessed with stretching. I stretch a ton. I download all types of different apps because I enjoy trying them all. But I stretch on a consistent basis. You're like, like trying to I, do
1: the splits and stuff, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Like I work really hard at it. And I like study different types of stretching. The only type or one of the very few types of stretching that's proven to work. I forget exactly what it's called. But basically, it's this idea where if you want to stretch your hamstring, um, like in a split, Let's say you're doing the front splits and you want to stretch your hamstring. You actually need to push down for 10 seconds, really hard. So you 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 want your hamstring to flex for 10 seconds, and then right. you release, and that allows you to stretch even further. I don't I, it does something with the brain. I, I don't entirely understand how it works, but I've I read a lot of studies, and it's one of the few proven ways. And so I've been obsessed with that. I've gone to Stretch Lab. It's a hundred dollars. I've did it in San Francisco and in Austin. And totally. Totally fun. Totally worth it. I loved it. I've been trying to go in Brooklyn where I'm staying now. I can't find a place that does this. I'm completely on board with this. I've also tried to buy different stretching machines. Stretching machines have always fascinated me because stretching is one of the few exercises where you don't actually have to put that much effort into it and to get results. Like someone can kind of do it to you. It's not like with running where it's just like I got to put all the like I can just kind of be numb and someone can do it. And so there's split machines where you can do side splits and you like sit in this thing and you crank this wheel and your legs open up. That's okay. <laughs> that's, that's fine. But what I've been looking for is front split machines and different types of uh, stretching machines. I have found close to nothing. And so at my gym in my house, I was thinking about buying a set of winches, like a winch, like it goes on the on the, on, the, on a Jeep to like pull a cord. I was going to put some on each side of my wall and create a stretching machine. It's probably going to look like a sex machine. Yeah. I, was gonna
1: say, it, I think these, you could just buy something else and just use it for, Different purpose. <laughs> I
0: guess you could just buy a sex machine or like a uh, a reformer. But anyway, I'm totally on board with this. I think stretching is actually a trend that's going to continue to grow. We've talked about it now for a year now. We've talked about ROM ROM WAD, which is called Range of Motion Workout of the Day, right? Which is an app that's killing it. We've talked about Kelly Star. We've talked about a lot of this. I'm totally on board with stretching. Yeah,
1: stretch tech. Um, so I'm I'm keeping an eye on that trend. I have another trend if you're ready to move on to my my second trend here.
0: Really quick, what another thing you could do it stretching. So it's stretching in order to have one of these franchises, you really just need a table, right? Like yeah. nice tables with some bands. Another two other things that are really interesting to me in this space. This the first is um chanting and breathing work. Yes, so breathwork. I I went to breath work. I went to this one class where I paid $30 and we just sat there with 30 other people doing breathing. And then eventually you like chant. I, I don't understand the science behind it, but I know that I felt great. It, it was fun. It was a good experience for $30. You get an
1: absolute high. I, so before, not in a fitness context, but one time I was, when I started the sushi restaurant, I was staying in LA with the sushi chef. His, his mandate was, all right, if I'm going to start this business with you guys, you're going to each come. I had three co-founders. There's three of us. He said, you're each going to come. You're going to live with me. You're going to work every day at my restaurant for three weeks each, and only one at a time, so you don't have each other as your little safety net. Um, and I said, okay. So you know, one guy went out there, the second guy went out there, and then I went out there. And with me, he goes, uh, it was like you know, kind of a life-altering experience. He's a very wise guy, like kind of like a Mr. Miyagi sort of character for me. And one of the things he did, he's like, "Are you religious?" And I said, "No, I, I don't believe." He said, um, "He said I'm Buddhist." I said, "Okay, cool. Do you know anything about Buddhism?" No. And he goes, um, all right, tomorrow morning, 7 a.m., like meet me in the living room. And I was like, oh shit, here we go. And uh we went there. And and so I, I didn't know anything about Buddhism. And I still know very little about Buddhism, but Buddhists have this chant um that they do uh, as like, or at least his practice or his, maybe his sect or whatever it was. They have this one chant. It's called Nam kyo So it'd be like Nam Yoho renge kyo, nam Yo renge kyo. And you repeat that. For like one hour straight, you're chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo, nam yoho It's just one hour straight. And so we start, and I'm just trying to be nice. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'll just kind of sit here and like, uh, what are these five words? what are they what, do I need to know what they mean? No? Oh, I don't need to know? What do you mean? they he was just like, just sit just the sound is therapeutic. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting, because like in Hinduism, om, it's like Om is like the there's like om, and like you hear that in yoga a lot too. And there's something about the vibration of making this sound, audibly making the sound that by the end of it, you feel different than you did at the beginning. And so by the end of this hour, I had this like, I don't know what it was. It's like a rush of euphoria, basically, uh, from chanting. And he was like, I do that every morning. It's like like an audio, uh, I forgot what it's called, transcendental meditation or something. It's a form of meditation where you're not trying to, it's like a way to quiet the mind by chanting the same thing on loop. And when you quiet the mind, you know, you, you finally, you know, you get a sense of peace that's very hard to achieve otherwise. And after I did that, I was like a big believer in chanting. So I've continued to, I'm not Buddhist, but I've continued to do this chanting thing on and off for like the last 10 years of my life.
0: Well, and you feel like an idiot doing it. So if I told sure. you to do it without your guy there, you would feel like a fool. And I went and I felt like a fool too. So I went to one of these classes and you do breath work, which... I don't understand the science behind it, but it felt awesome. It felt like I was, it felt like a very mild uh, drug. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you part of it is chanting and it felt great. And it, when I talked, the guy was like, yeah, we're, this is like our MVP. Uh, like I found it on Eventbrite. He's like, we're thinking about scaling this and doing, it was, it was all startup eating guy. And I was like, dude, this is the greatest business ever. You just need like a space for like 50 people and nothing else. Yeah. The floor. <laughs> yeah. You don't need anything. Like I'm in if you ever like it so so anyway i think that's interesting i also think ice baths are interesting i know i've been noticing on instagram loads and loads of ice baths we talked about this company what was the ice bath company
1: called the barrel company ice barrel
0: ice barrel so icebarrel.co or something it's um I know the guy who started it, and they're selling an ice barrel for like twelve or thirteen hundred dollars. I'm seeing them everywhere. I think ice baths, particularly places that you can go just to take an ice bath, I think are going to get quite popular. I think an ice bath also has a slightly meditative purpose to it. So the I would add that I would add those th- two things to so stretching to yeah, look out pull, pull for trends.
1: Punch. Yeah, same. Uh, I just yesterday I sent this TikTok. This guy's like. Hey guys, I just want to take you through my morning routine. He's like a 60 year old dude who's just like absolutely chiseled somehow. It's like, okay, I don't know. I don't know how your body looks like that. A little unnatural, but okay. Was it Mark Sisson? No, I don't. don't, He wasn't like a famous guy. He's just like a guy. He's like, first things first, I get in the cold plunge and he's like, I get in and I don't do a lot of like, he's like, I just get in. That's it. And then he's like, and then at three minutes, I get out, I go in the jacuzzi, he like hops over his pool to get to his jacuzzi. He's like, and then we're going to go to the sauna. And like all the comments are like, sir, I don't have these amenities at my house. Like I don't have all these things. And I think that's the opportunity, which is that when people have these things, they sort of swear by them. Like our friend Ramon swears by it. Tony Robbins always talked about this is how he starts his day. He goes straight into the ice plunge, then go straight to heat. Um, and so there's definitely some like, anti-inflammatory and like sort of uh, neurological effects, waking the body up like this with something, uh, a, a drastic physiological change, a stimulus. And you don't need caffeine. You don't need drugs to, to be able to to get your body to respond. And um, But I think there's a problem, which is that they're so inaccessible. So one, we talked about Ice Barrel and then somebody reached out, a guy who's in my club LTV, like uh, the, the e-commerce group I have for people who have an e-commerce store of a million dollars are up. And uh, he said, Oh, yeah, I have this one uh, brand now, but I'm starting a new brand. And um, his first brand is pretty successful. I think probably 20, 30 million. And his new brand is going to do ice baths, but it's just a device you put into any tub, like your normal bathtub, and it makes your bathtub water really cold. And I was like, Oh, that's way better because I don't want to do like ice baths. I don't want to buy ice, all, yeah. don't buy ice all the time. That's a huge pain in the ass. Um, And this, like, ice barrel thing, like, is a $2,000 barrel. Yeah, and you can only, you can't
0: can't use it if you have an apartment.
1: Right, and so I'm like, well, if I already have a tub, and you just let me fill it up with normal water, and I put this thing in for 10 minutes, and it gets cold, like, that's awesome, actually. Like, now you just built, like, a $150 device that does this without the headache.
0: Is it, like, electronic, like, you plug it into something? Yeah, I don't know how
1: you put electric things in water. Like, I'm a little bit suspicious. Well,
0: it's like the opposite of a heating pad
1: yeah exactly and, and so it cools water so i'm very excited about this but if anybody has like either ice or sauna technology send it to me so show me show it to me i really want to try these i'm I'm very big on this stuff
0: great uh same so the second for trend spotting is uh tattoos
1: yeah ephemeral tattoos specifically so if you go to ephemeral which is kind of hard to spell e-p-h-e-r-e-m-a-l ephemeral dot tattoo check that out so basically, this is a trend I've been noticing. First, there was a company called Inkbox that just made temporary, you know, temporary tattoos, kind of like essentially it's a body sticker. And uh, and they started doing pretty well. They came out a while ago and they, you know, they do kind of like $20, $30 million plus in revenue. Uh, last I had heard, which was a few years ago. And uh so Inkbox had done pretty well. And this new one, Ephemeral Tattoo, just raised $20 million. It got my attention. I said, Well, what's going on here? So, what these guys have is a biodegradable ink that you, um, that can go into even like a normal tattoo gun. So you got to go to a place. So Inkbox is sort of like a sticker you just put on your skin and then it just fades away. This is like actually a legit tattoo, but it's a one year commitment instead of a, you know, a 50 year commitment or whatever, like a normal tattoo is. So you go, you actually get it and, you know, tattooed onto your body and it degrades after 12 to 15 months, it fades away. And, um, and so they have like one studio open in like LA one in like New York And they raised $20 million to do two things. One is to release like colored tattoos because right now it's just black and white. And the other is like to open more studios because the way it works is you put down, it's like Tesla, you put down a $20 deposit and that lets you basically book a reservation at this thing. And they have like a million dollars worth of like pre-booked, reservations at their studios that they just are backlogged on and need to need to do and what i thought was interesting about this i was like okay cool it's like some kind of like material innovation on the material science of the ink but i like that this can go into a normal tattoo because i think what i think the best i think it's sort of stupid to open up their own uh you know tattoo parlors maybe you'll do a few of those but there's 21,000 tattoo parlors in the United States. That's like the same number of like high schools are in the United States. So there's one, one tattoo parlor for every high school essentially. Is, that,
0: is that a real stat?
1: Yeah, there's estimated 21,000 tattoo parlors and there's about 20, to 20, 20, 24,000. I, I high think
0: schools. you're wrong by the way. Them having this studio is awesome. It, it doesn't matter if cool it makes money or brand. not.
1: I guess what I'm saying is yeah. I think what they should do is they should sell this to every tattoo parlor as the – hey, you, you want Diet Coke? Right, you want the diet tattoo? You don't. You want the not lifelong tattoo commitment? Hey, we sell this thing. It plugs right into our normal thing, and we are we have the staff, we have the brick and mortar locations. So I think they could roll out to ten thousand locations like this, rather than opening up their own store brick after brick. So, anyways, I'm pretty excited about this. I think it's kind of a cool idea.
0: I uh, I'm gonna sign up. I'll go to it. They have a Brooklyn one. I was about to get some more tattoos. I would totally do that.
1: Right. You have a few uh, a few interesting tattoos on your body that you could talk about.
0: <laughs> I've got a few bad ones. So I have one, two, three. I've got four homemade ones. And the way that you, you do you the way that you do homemade ones is you use a, a sewing needle and oh an ink and you just make a ton of dots. I did that when I was like 21 and like partying, I, I was highly intoxicated. I don't entirely regret them, but they look silly. <laughs> I saw then, like,
1: it says like, what do you have on your foot? You have like something on your foot. I saw I've got it's like feet tattoos that say,
0: no, it says wow or mom. It depends. <laughs> yeah. And then I have uh, feet tattoos that say act now, which are they, kind of cool. They're kind of cool, but yeah, like Self, yeah.
1: self-administered tattoos. Not, not, yeah. not every day you see one of those,
0: which is actually uh, quite popular is homemade tattoos. It's called stick and poke. When I did it, I didn't think that they were that popular, but I think they actually are quite popular. But anyway, this tattoo business, I t- I'll 100% sign up for that. It looks, sign up for them. It it, it looks pretty sick. They are black and white. So like, they, they look do pretty look, basic. yeah, yeah, they look pretty like, like I would get it. But if you're like a cute girl and you well, probably they're, don't, they're, it's not don't just that they're those. black and
1: white. It looks like they're not like colored in. So they're just like an outline of a shape, or at least that's what I see on the website. It's like a cat, but like the cat, it's just like the outline of a cat. Uh, yeah, I'm into this.
0: A femoral tattoo i i think you're on board there it just opens
1: need- up the market right like there's, if there's if there's like a, a circle that says this is this is a circle that represents the number of people who are willing to get tattoos for life and you say and now there's an option that you can have a tattoo but it's only going to last a year and it'll fade away okay that circle just got like three times bigger four times bigger you're just increasing the size of the addressable market for tattoos which is smart so I think that's cool because
0: you get to try something for a year that you could potentially impact the rest of your life. You know, it's always freaked me out. Like, and and we don't discuss it too much, but or like as a society, it, we accept that that's normal. Buying a home, you basically go into it for like ten minutes, <laughs> and you're willing to spend all of your money, like every dollar that you have, <laughs> and thirty years of your life after like a fifteen minute walkthrough. Is that crazy? Is well, that they nuts? also
1: give you a hundred-page disclosure that you can't understand, and then you read some scary stuff in there, and then you're just like, "I guess, I guess, I just live with that termite issue."
0: I always just thought it was mind-boggling that you can you you have to spend fifteen minutes f- for making a decision that, in mo- for most people, it's all their money, and also it's for thirty plus years of their life right. off a off a fifteen-minute walkthrough. That's always. That's always been crazy to me. So this is that. That's well. This is good for tattoos. I think at that moment. Do you want to talk about these? Uh, these top two things. I think. Yeah.
1: We could... So, so I was thinking about class rings. Uh, or I think um somebody Ben shared a tweet with me that was just like a meme. It was like uh the the uh, if people want to know how we get ideas for this, so me and Ben just send each other shit off Twitter all day, and then some of it you know it's just like memes. But but I, I started thinking about it. He goes, some guy Coleman Oates. He goes. Y'all remember when a company would come to your high school and gaslight you into buying a $400 class ring? And, you know, there's just like, whatever, like 100 likes on this tweet. And I just thought it was so funny. And I remember that happening. I remember buying a class ring and I, don't know, I lost it. I don't know where it is. It was like a waste of money. It's so ugly. I was never going to wear it. Uh, but I bought it because I was like, oh, I guess this is like the moment. I'm supposed to commemorate these four years. And, you know, it's now or never, basically, to buy this ring. So I like kind of got pressured into buying it. And uh, so I started thinking about this Clash Ring business. And let me tell you some things I discovered. All right. So this guy is kind of like my Billy of the week. I got two very boring business people that I'm going to feature here. So the first guy is called Otto Jostin. And Otto Jostin is the founder of Jostin's, which is the number one Clash Ring maker. And Otto Jostin, he invents the Clash Ring basically. So he started this thing in 1897. Um, oh, wow. in, in Ottawa, right. This is like, you know, over a hundred years old. And, um, and so he invents this thing and basically says, okay, great. We're going to have these rings that commemorate the occasion. And, um, and so he, he creates a class ring. And so th- what, how does this work? So basically high school or college, you go to the school, Um, At the end of your senior year, you get upsold into all this stuff. You get upsold into like, uh, you know, shirts, yearbooks, but the class ring is like kind of like one of the more expensive items, $400, $500, $600 for a class ring sometimes. And um, and so I was looking into the history of this company. So basically the company, uh, you know, existed for a long time, goes public uh, in like 1965 or whatever, stays public for a while, ends up getting acquired by private equity. So it gets acquired by, uh, by, by something called Newell Brands. And this is like an interesting company to look into. They own Rubbermaid, Crockpot, pot Oster, like all these like home home appliance companies. Then they own like Elmer's Glue, Sharpie, Yankee Candles, like all these brands that we know about. They have $10 billion in revenue across their portfolio of brands. And so they had – they bought Jostens and they were like, look, this company uh, makes about $700 million a year. But it's been flat uh, or declining. Like the yearbook and clash ring industry is sort of like declining 5% a year. And so it's like, ah, oh, you know, maybe there's room to turn around. So they buy it for one, 1. 1.5 billion, I think. Yeah. And then they try it for a few years, can't do anything with it. They sell it to another company, Platinum Equity, for 1.3 billion. So they take a $200 million loss on it, sell the company. So it's still owned by P- Platinum Equity and it's just this thing that exists. So it started getting me interested. Like, how does this whole business model work? What I couldn't find is what's in it for the schools because the schools definitely give these people like real estate uh, on campus or on, on on premises to sell this stuff. So I wonder if there's a rev share. I couldn't find that that detail, but it got me thinking: how would I compete with this if I was going to compete with this? So I thought this would be a fun brainstorm. So All right. boring business. How would you compete with this? So well,
0: let, let let's walk through how seniors come into this. You yes. know, I used Did you use Josh Jassons in high school? I think
1: I think we bought Jassons. Yeah. Uh,
0: so basically, if I remember correctly, you're a senior and you get a magazine do you get a magazine like Uh, do they hand they hand like a pamphlet to all seniors i I
1: remember buying it from a table there was like a table set up with a little like tablecloth, and on it was a bunch of rings i think they did have a brochure of like here's all the different models you can order try them on and then like you place your order and you pay the thing and then it arrives you know months later
0: And your school knows who's ordering, I think, because I didn't order one. I was like, I don't, this is nonsense. I don't, I I don't like high school this much. Like, I I don't want a ring. And my school came to me and they were like, are you having trouble at home? And I was like, no. They're like, do you need money to buy the ring? We'll buy it for you. (laughs) And I was like, no, that's lovely. I I appreciate you guys, but I just think it's stupid. I don't want, I don't want a ring. And then they had a ring ceremony. And they just handed me a plain box and it had like – I went to a Catholic school and it had like a, a cross or something in it so that they just – Is this high they, school you're talking about? Yeah. So yeah. they like had some type of thing to give me and I was like, I appreciate you guys, but I don't want any of this stuff. But anyway, they, the school knows who orders as well.
1: Right. And so, so, okay. I was thinking about, okay, I think there's two models to this. There's distribution and then there's product. So on the distribution side, I would definitely try to figure out how do I partner with either the school themselves or a sub entity in the school? And so um, uh, did you invest in that company, Copper, that I sent you? We passed. We passed. Okay. So w- one of the clever things that they do, I won't go into their whole playbook, but they have an awesome playbook on how to, they they make a, like a, a debit card essentially for high school students. And um, they grow really well. And the, the people who were behind it, they created a different product uh, for high schoolers. And they had a playbook of basically, how do you get high schoolers on board for your thing? And one of the things that they do, one of the pieces of the playbook is that they go, they partner with one of the like organizations in the school. So they can't partner with the school itself, too complicated, but they'll go to like the baseball team or like the volleyball team. And they'll say, Hey, you guys need like 500 bucks for your like uniforms this year. Great. We'll sponsor it in exchange. You guys help us promote our thing. You guys become an affiliate. And for every additional student you bring on board, you get more money for your org. And so it ends up being like, you know, a direct ad affiliate deal with, with, with the groups. And they're obviously highly motivated because they need to pay for their stuff. So similarly, I guess what I would do is I would try to, for the distribution side, I would partner with either the school or partner with like, you know, the band or like, you know, some group in the school and say, hey, uh, if you guys help us sell this, uh, you get a rev share with this thing. So that's how I would get my foot in the door. Then the question is what product? Because I think class rings are incredibly ugly. And I think there's sometimes a good thing about ugly things because they stand out and they seem special or unique or different versus like a T-shirt.
0: ugly they just all look alike like every class ring since you know this this thing has been invented i'll be like 1890 like it's the exact same thing
1: if you see someone wearing a class ring it's like all right al bundy like you're living in the
0: past here right like well yeah i'm like you're a fucking like you're a dork you peaked
1: it's a dork move right so how do you so first if you can make it unless
0: you were like one of the early classes of harvard (laughs) <laughs> or that I'm like all right i get it right, unless, you're, like for-
1: unless you won like you know the ncaa championship then you yeah. wear your championship ring yes uh, and even then you should probably just keep that on a on a shelf in the house but like i, I think it's okay it's not meant to be worn necessarily so here's the opportunities i see so my, my my best idea that i came up with and this was like an hour before we started recording this my best idea is class sneakers so i think sneakers are like hot real estate and i don't know if you've ever seen people who make custom sneakers like either for celebrities or for like Love brands them. they're awesome they awesome. like they have like a paint gun or like know, it's like a tattoo gun basically yeah they can like create it's like a graffiti mural on a, a pair of air force 1s so that's the first thing i would try to do is class sneakers i would try to basically say great how do i come up with a base model maybe it's like Converse's or air force 1s or something like that it's plain plain white shoe and then okay everybody's graduating right now they're all let's say class of 21 So I'm going to have class of 21 and then I'm just going to make different color schemes for the different schools. And, uh, and then if you pay extra, like you can get your name sort of like embroidered on the thing or like whatever your, your phrase or whatever you want on the, on the back of it. Um, and I would basically sell commemorative class sneakers that can either be worn or they're just put on, you know, put on the wall, put in put in the, in in the house somewhere as a piece of which,
0: which shoe, which brand and model,
1: I think uh, maybe I'm out of touch here, but I like kind of just like uh, like the old school plain white Air Force Ones. I think those are like
0: yeah, that's be- I you were one of the do. best
1: canvases to to use for something like this. But you Simple. Know, I, I don't think it really matters. I think you basically, you need some shoe that, it, in reality, if I was doing this, I probably would like find something that's shaped like that, but is not already like $100, right? Because I need to get the shoe for like $12. And then I need to do the custom, you know, the paint work on it for like another $8. And then I need to sell that shoe for like $180 or $200, something like that. I think that's the model here. And I think you could do this with Instagram ads, Facebook ads, and partnering with school organizations to do like kind of rev shares. Um, and I think it could be cool. I think it's like a status symbol. So that's how I would attack Justin's, right? If they're making $700, $800 million a year on their ugly ass class rings, I would start with class sneakers as my first idea. I think that's good. So I'm
0: looking at, I'm looking at it. Dude, they sell some ugly ass shit. I cannot believe this business is in place. And here's the, take, here's the takeaway here is that once you get locked into some, to a certain contract, Yeah, n- I would actually phrase it like it's hard to fuck up. Boring so, default.
1: If you're the boring default, it's so good, such a good position to be in.
0: And a lot of times when I think of like, when we think of entrepreneurship and we think of starting stuff, we think, how can I be innovative? How can I be new? In reality, in order to make a lot of money, it's how do I get locked into this to, <laughs> to the point to where like, it's going to be a pain in the ass to go anywhere else. And that's the takeaway here. I'm looking at Johnson's. They they started. You said in 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 1890. 1897. Yeah. Okay. So if you started something 124 <laughs> years ago and you are still in cahoots with these high schools, this is significantly better than any enterprise SaaS company. This is significantly better than a newsletter. Do this. When I think of <laughs> this, is idiot proof. Johnson's is idiot proof. I used to say that. Uh, Real estate has the highest uh number of low i q millionaires joson's is is the the best example of that I've ever seen. <laughs> I love this company, and I think that when I start stuff that's that's what I should think of uh how can I just create something that people buy forever and I have to innovate on the product zero
1: that's yeah, exactly what yeah, they've done the, the best example of this that we came up with that we had on the podcast was the uh the workplace compliance poster that you have to have for like the HR or safety or whatever work that the poster, every office has in the break room. Um, that poster, you just have to buy every year. It's like a hundred dollars or something. And you just have to get it every year. Otherwise you're out of, you're like out of compliance. You're like out of code. And, uh, you know, zero employees, just sort of like an auto renew where I send you this like one cent poster for a hundred dollars is like such a beautiful, beautiful business. And in fact, I almost want to just come up with like another compliance poster. Actually, this is my next idea here live on the podcast. What's another like bullshit ass compliance poster that I could make that I could sell to every company? Like maybe it's like something with like the modern day woke stuff. Like it's about like you know anti openness and anti harassment and like pronouns and like everything. It's just like a reminders of like how to not be canceled. So so it's basically just like a reminders poster that gets updated every year with the latest <laughs> cancellation policy, and uh, you just need to make it seem like a totally boring company uh, thing. You just sell this to every age. You send send it to them once, and then you like get them on file to like have this in in their you know restrooms every year or something like that.
0: If you work for a company like this, like one like what you're describing, or Jossen's, so it looks like on Glassdoor they've got three thousand employees. Dude,
1: if you want to dude, what do they up? do? You are asleep. You've been able to sleep for 65 straight yeah, years. What do you like do? Like a bear in hibernation. What do you
0: like why why do they even need employees? That's what <laughs> like I'm looking through this. Like, what's the point of having a person do this? Like You could fire most all your people and just build stuff that it automates it, and you simply have salespeople that just try to like sell stuff. But like, you don't need anything. I I, I'm looking at their glass door. I'm like, what on? They have a thousand to five thousand people. I thought it said three thousand in another place. I don't even know what you do. Like, what what do you? If you're the CEO of this company, what do you do every day? Are you like, hey, this week we're gonna try this? It's like, no, you're just keeping the lights on the whole time. And I'm okay with that. It sounds like I'm criticizing it. I'm not. What the fuck do you even you know do if you work for this company?
1: Has the little mini putting green in their office? You know that little putting green of a one hole putt putt golf you could put in your office, Michael Burris. Of yes. Yeah, Michael Burris. He has one of those in the office. He's probably listening to this right now, looking at the putting green and being like, "God damn it, uh, those guys are wrong about everything, but they're right about the damn putting green." I got to get get rid of this thing.
0: This is what I I want to start something like this where you just have to do no work ever. I mean, so I just another I, model. I,
1: it's just undercut them, right? So I think you, I think you could advertise on Facebook and Instagram and be like, "Hey, seniors." Don't get ripped off by Jostens. Same ring, half the price.
0: Yeah, this amazes me.
1: I have none of the employees and I'm going to drop ship this out of China. So like, hey, don't get ripped off by Jostens. That's bad. that's my ad creative. Again, somebody who wants to do this, just keep me updated. I just want to hear how this plays out if you end up doing this. Just, right. just advertise against us all right so that's this is crazy so i want to talk about one. the second
0: one the, this paint one this is interesting by the way too. i sent
1: you an instagram there's another person t- who's trying to compete with them and they're just making a classroom that doesn't look tacky uh so that was also like one model which is like these rings look cool it's someone called j hannah or something like that that's her instagram J j.hannah and it looks she like has, they
0: got meaning meaningful traction
1: yeah these are kind of clash these are class rings. there's only four it's like they just stand for like kind of like Earth, wind, fire, and ice, or something like that. But they're just kind of clash rings with the year, and uh, they just look better. They look cool when you wear them. So that's another way you can go about this. All right. Um, here's you want to know about. Here's another company that you're going to be mind blown about. Do you know what the Pantone color chart is? <laughs> the Pantone matching system.
0: I googled it. Googled it, and I see things that I recognize, like okay. a like a color wheel.
1: Yeah. Okay. So here's here's the story. Here's the story you need to know. Okay, so um, there's a guy Frank who sent this to me on Twitter. So shout out to Frank. Uh, he's got like an egg profile on Twitter, but he, he listens to the pod. He just goes, "Hey Pantone, this has got to be a huge business. These guys sell this freaking color book for five hundred dollars." And so I said, "Wait, I have one of those color books on my desk. What the what's? There's a business behind this." And sure enough, okay, so here's the backstory. Uh, there's this guy. Okay, so uh, Otto Jostin was our first, you know, Billy of the week. Lawrence Herbert is my second. Uh, Lawrence Herbert, basically, they, they these guys, they owned a print company, uh, print a printing company. And they got tired of the fact that like uh, they had all these inconsistencies in colors, right? So you would try to just describe a color or it's blue color, but like which shade of blue? And they had all these different inks they were trying to keep track of, a name or whatever. And they said, screw it. We're going to create the global standard for colors. So all they did was they took every single shade of color and they put a number on it and they gave this to every like manufacturer, fashion house, architecture firm. Like you're picking the colors for your curtains. What Pantone color are you going to use? Uh, you're picking, you know, the color of your fabric for your clothing brand. What's color you're going to use? You're, you know, uh, crazy, like Ben and Jerry's uses the color chart for, they have a quality assurance, uh, group that basically looks at the brownies that are going to go in the brownie fudge bites or whatever. And, um, If the brownie color is between you know brown 690 and brown 669, then it's good. It's properly baked. And if it's under or over, it's like too baked or it's underbaked. So they just hold this up and they look at the brownie and they say, does this match this color or not? And so this thing is used ubiquitously. So they created this Pantone color system, the matching system. It's like 2,500 colors. They make over $100 million a year just sending out this little brochure, this little pamphlet, this little booklet with all the colors in it. And everybody buys these things. We have one here because when we need to communicate with our manufacturer for our brand, we have to tell them, hey, use Pantone Color 506C or whatever it is. So they know that we want that specific shade of blue. How and did this uh, product start? So so the guy owns the printing company, decides to create the Pantone matching system. And the number one way they got the word out was this marketing stunt. Like we, we talked about... Um, michelin star and we talked about like that 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 system so they started coming out with color of the year so they just they would make they put a ton of money and effort effort behind color of the year so 2016 rose quartz 2015 marsala you know 2012 tangerine tango is the color of the year 2011 classic honeysuckle color of the year. So they, they, they do this big marketing blitz around what is the color of the year. And in order to come up with that, they have this hush hush process where they invite 12 like trend spotters to their office. And then they each give presentations and kind of like debate around like culture and where the, where society is moving. And then they come out and they're like, honeysuckle is it. And then they immediately blitz the market with that. They send that to all the like fashion houses, ad agencies, and then they start using that in their campaigns and they start You'll start getting emails, which is like, oh, buy our thing. It's got the color of the year. This is Honeysuckle, the color of the year for this dress. And so brands start using that for their own marketing. And so it started spreading that way. And so they sell these booklets for like, you know, $85 up to $500, these booklets. And then every year they launch like 100 new colors. So you got to get a new booklet with all the new colors in it. It's like the dictionary. And uh, I just thought this was amazing. I didn't know there was even a a company behind this. And it makes over $100 million a year. All right, I'm going to blow your mind.
0: All right, we're gonna we're gonna build off this. Go to wgsn.com. So wgsn.com. Do you see that?
1: Yeah, I think you you've it. told me about this one. These are the trend uh, trend makers, right? They have like a, a scent of the year or something like that.
0: No, colors. It's colors, colors okay. as well. Exactly what you described. Um, they do almost exactly that. Which except reports. it's except it's a It's really like one or two reports a year, but it's a subscription service and they sell to businesses and they're a public company. So I can look up their revenue. So their revenue last year was 90 90 million euros. I think this is a euro. So a hundred million dollars.
1: Yeah.
0: A hundred million dollars. And it's been doing a hundred million dollars or it's been doing around that forever. So it's currently owned research and
1: reports, basically.
0: But it, it's we could dumb it down we
1: we had the founder of david's teas on here and he was talking about how he uses a brand he he used to pay for stuff like this and i remember asking him like is it just bullshit or is this like why are you buying this like i don't know how much this report is like thousands of dollars for this thousands and he was like oh totally worth it like that's how we got the new like flavors and fragrances for the new teas every year i was like wow okay interesting
0: so it's called wgsn wgsn.com and to dumb it down starbucks who will buy a hundred thousand uniforms or a hundred or, or fucking ten million coffee sleeves? they want to know which color for Christmas what shade of red is going to be right. interesting enough or um if we're when we're buying these uniforms uh for this one this promotion, which color is the right color by the way that and- Starbucks
1: red thing my wife uh loves Starbucks she goes to Starbucks anytime she can. And she literally looks forward to the red cup moment where they switch the cups. And like, it's like an, emo- it's like an emotional thing almost. It's like, um, it's basically like, oh shit. Like, uh, like the season has changed. Christmas time is here. I get these warm, fuzzy feelings. And part of that I associate with is the red cups, which I just found to be like crazy that anyone cares.
0: Well, yeah, it just means that it's winter time. Um, And so this company called WGSN, companies pay, I think it's 18 grand a year. And they also have someone you could talk to so you can ask them a question. Uh, it's called the that's what they call their advisory service. They just like you, you, you ask people questions, but then they also so I believe the way the business works is they, they do two things. They look at loads of different data on which what's what type of color is selling well, and I imagine it's just someone else's data. The second thing is they survey people. And so they'll survey like people who they deem as experts, and they ask them questions. And then they create this like survey response of like, all right, all right, here's according to all the experts, this color, these colors for this type of niches are going to be the colors that you're going to use in the future. Right. And if you know, if you have a company that's not like growing that much, but it's worth 90 million euro a year in subscription revenue. I mean, that's like a three, four, five million a year company or a company that I think makes like $30 million a year in profit only off colors and this is the second one in a few minutes that we've named colors are very interesting
1: and by the way these guys the pantone guys they then partner with some other firm to come out with the so they they, pantone became has become the universal like language of color how do you describe color to somebody you describe it the pantone chart uh and by the way the reason why there's like a science there's like a bit of a mechanical reason why so like a normal printer if you use a printer, I think a normal like, just household printer will, it has this thing called CMYK, if you've ever seen that, like capital CMYK. What does that mean? It's like cyan, magenta, uh, magenta, yellow, and black or something. And basically, you can mix those four colors and you can make a whole bunch of combinations of colors just using those four. It's like RGB for TVs. And... Um, but Pantone, if you have a Pantone machine, then the Pantone machine basically has like 18 base colors. And so you can mix and you can mix up, because it's 18 specific base colors, you can create all these really specific shades. So when you give somebody the color, it's not just so that their eye knows what it is, it's that so they can punch it into the machine and create that specific pigment or that specific ink or that specific printed color on top of whatever it is so there's like you know they needed something like that which is pretty cool um but anyways these guys partnered with somebody to come out with like the pantone of taste and the pantone of smell also right how do you describe a fragrance well, Who, how, how do you do this? And so they, they partnered with some company. They, they also tried to own that space, and which I, I just think is awesome to be like kind of the global authority in I agree. naming of a color. And somehow a private company owns that, which is insane. It's like owning, you know, the periodic table or something. And
0: we were talking about, you called it boring. I think this is fun. I think this is actually kind of fun. This, the, I don't know if I would want to do it all the time, but this is like a fun thing because you can kind of shape culture. I mean, we were talking about that red, that Starbucks, right. like you, you, or like the Coca Cola red, or the fact that, um, do you know that Coca Cola invented Santa Claus, pretty much, or like the what? the way that we, in, the way that we envision Santa Claus? I don't want to go too much off the cuff because I I didn't actually research this, but I'm I'm a I like old stuff, like and I like American history, um, and so I've read stories about this, but like the modern day Santa with like yeah. that red suit, fat guy who's got a white beard. That's a Coca-Cola invented that. Oh, shit.
1: Um, we, we need to go deep on that one. We should go back. Okay. Uh, all right. So I'm going to call this business. Uh, I discovered this business the hard way. So we, we were traveling. We left something at, you know, the TSA security checkpoint where you're like putting all your stuff in the bins or whatever. And uh, we left something in there. And so we get on the plane. My wife's like, oh, no, where's that thing? Oh, don't worry. I'm sure we can just sort of call them or like, you know, file a, you know, file a report. And Are and-
0: you trying not to say what it is?
1: Uh, what the item? Yeah. Oh, it was. I mean, it's just like a baby stroller bag thing. Uh okay. so, so you know, it's like a hundred fifty dollar item, but like not. Uh, you know, whatever. Nobody cares. It doesn't matter what it is. Left an item there. Um, we. So I'm like, okay, let me Google. Like, just hey, item left TSA Las Vegas Airport, and um, <laughs> and the first thing that comes up is this thing called Instafile. Get your, file, file your claim to get your thing back. I click it. And it's like, oh, just tell us what your item is, and we'll get it back to you. Don't don't worry about it. And then you go through the flow, and then it tries to charge you twenty nine dollars at the end. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Oh. And fuck as that. I'm doing this, no. so I go through, I file this. I, I'm starting to file this thing, and I start to get my spidey sense starts tingling. I scroll down, and I see, you know, Instafile is not associated with any airport TSA or anything like that. I'm like, oh, what is this? Pretty interesting business. So so first, I think it's clever, a clever move. Right? I call these couch cushion businesses. It's like finding change in the couch cushion. It's like these little cracks in the system where you can just like slip right in and create a business. So of course, people are going to be losing, you know, one out of a thousand people are going to lose something in TSA. What are they going to do? They're going to Google it. And these guys are the top ranking result for that, uh, for every airport, I think. (laughs) And so um, they just, all they do is filing a claim is actually free. What they do is they just rank at the top, they get you to pay for it, and then they go file the claim on your behalf and just forge your, they just forge your report to them and then they forward you their response. And it's like I mean, a scam that's not, in a way. And it's not a scam. It's, it, it's like a kind of a managed service. The part, it's, it's very misrepresentative. Yeah. And so if you go read the reviews, people are very angry at them. I don't get angry about this sort of thing. I actually, I'm like, oh, clever, clever. You've found a way to like, you know, capitalize on this. Um, and, you know, there is some value add service because again, there is like an agent in the middle. I don't know how much. That's what I'm saying. Like it, it, it,
0: it's, mo- it's, it's, it's very, technically, it's not a scam. It's just misleading
1: it depends if they're actually better at, if they actually save you time or money uh, or like, you know, increase your odds of getting your thing back. If they're really just forwarding your report and then forwarding their email back to you, then there's like zero value add. But if they are actually like, you know, Filing it right, following up for you, calling and getting the answer, then great. Uh, you know that's dude. I
0: can't find anyone online who works at this company.
1: Yeah, you can't find the owner. You can't find the about page, and that's why I'm like, okay, yeah, and, you know, probably more towards scam. But anyways, I just thought this is fascinating. And how many different businesses are there like this? There's probably a ton of different businesses like this that are just like these really hyper specific scenario searches that um, that you can rank number one for, and then when you do. I bet you kind of print money. I bet you this business is, you know, profitable seven figures business just off this one, uh, this one thing. Like
0: mugshots.com or mugshot (laughs) websites. (laughs) What what is
1: that? To look up mugshots?
0: Yeah, you've never tried to look at someone's mugshot? (laughs) Oh my God, it's littered with scams. So Google like uh, find mugshot California or like, you know, like imagine like what, imagine a friend gets arrested and you're trying to find a mugshot. Google whatever you're going to Google.
1: Uh, All right, so I'm seeing a bunch of ads, four ads at the top. All right, let me find mugshots for free. It looks like a search bar. I can search their name. And it goes, finds the public records. And I'm guessing it's going to charge me something at some point.
0: Crazy, right? It's pretty wild. So a lot of these mugshots that they get, they're just public. So if you know where someone gets arrested, you can just go, not all counties are that way, but you can just go to like... um, uh, San Francisco, or so that would be like Alameda County uh, mugshots, and you can actually go to the website right. and find it. Records. And they just like, and they just aggregate it. But they have super, super slick onboarding ways to like uh, get you to give them yeah. money. And the then- website's
1: super optimized, right? Like this, they, right next to the search bar, it says Norton Security and McAfee Secure. Why do I what does that have to do? That's a virus scanning protocol. What does that have to do with me typing in someone's name to search for them? Like, but it's just like these random ass trust building badges right next to the search bar just to get me to do this for free. Um, Yeah, so it's it's not actually gonna be free
0: it's incredibly scammy and anyway it, it's very similar to what you're describing we can actually do a i'll actually do a breakdown about this uh, very soon um, maybe next week i'll do a breakdown on this business historically incredibly scammy probably you could own the person who, who can own one of these businesses and make like 10 15 million dollars a year in profit although you got to like you know live this shitty life where like you're just kind of a piece of shit scamming someone <laughs> but it's like it's crazy fascinating um, that these mugshot businesses i think they crush
1: yeah, so uh, do you know who Naveen Jain is?
0: Yes, so he is like a billionaire guy now, but he the way that he became a billionaire, he's kind of done a good job of rebranding himself totally. as this like inspirational Tony Robbins guy, <laughs> yeah. but he owned a bunch of scammy businesses, and I believe some of them were Ponzi schemes that he took public.
1: So it wasn't a Ponzi scheme, I don't think exactly, but basically during the dot-com boom, uh, there was this company called Infospace, and he was the CEO of Infospace, and I don't know the full story. I should look it up. But I've, I remember reading it because I met his son, his son, uh, this guy, Ankur Jane, uh, really interesting guy. And, you know, like he, he's he was kind of like I was sort of like, why is this kid so like polished? Why do I feel like when he's talking to me, he's talking like on CNBC or something like that? Like this, I got this like politician vibe from him. And so I was looking him up like, oh, he's the son of this billionaire. And They you know, grew up, you know, in the same neighborhood as like, you know, whatever, Bill Gates and other guys. And then somebody had told me, somebody was like, yeah, his dad's kind of controversial. So why is that? And he said, oh, he started Infospace, took Infospace public. And then before Infospace crashed and the dot-com crash, he had like, I don't know, sold a bunch of his stock. He ended up doing great. All of his employees, you know, lost their kind of like – the company went under, but he ended up doing very well. That's the like long and short of it. Now, I don't know if it was like – you know, some kind of like underhanded stuff. I'm not sure, but definitely there's like a, a long kind of like report that it's pretty hard to Google for it because I think he's like scrubbed it, but you can find it from the old like Seattle Times or something like that. Uh, but then he started another company that also had controversy called Intellius. And Intellius yes. is the one you're thinking about. And um, Intellius, I think it sold uh, as like for over $100 million. But what it was is sort of like in the... Uh, it was a so it's a way for people to peruse criminal records and conduct background searches online, but the way the way it worked, if you look if you Google like Intellius scam or Intellius shady, you'll see that like it basically looked like one of those like free credit report like kind of services, or it's like oh just type your name and you'll get your your data your report, and there's like this tiny checkbox that's like you know you know you agree to pay 19.99 for the rest of your life if you do this, and like and so that that's how they were making a bunch of their money was they were just taking aggregating public records. Making them a little more searchable. And they had this sort of like hard to see subscription that you were paying for at the end of it. Uh, maybe, it, I, I don't know exactly. I mean, you must have entered your credit card, so it can't be that hard to see. But there was a bunch of controversy around Intellius, I remember. And yeah, then he's yeah, like yeah. Rebranded well, it was a subscription himself. service. Now he's got like this company, Moon Express, that's like sending rockets to the moon and like. And now he's got something called Viome. It's like, imagine a world where illness is optional. And it's like, you know, he's trying to save the world, save the planet type of guy. And if you hear him talk, he's extremely charismatic, um, as people who, who tend to, you know, run schemes tend to be. And so he's, um... I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't really have an opinion myself. I just know that there is some controversy around this guy. But I find him to be a pretty fascinating character. I find him very interesting to hear when he talks. Very inspirational type of speaker. And now is doing these kind of like big picture Elon Musk type of things. But got his start doing something much less uh, savory.
0: We should have someone come on and talk about some of the stuff. I didn't realize that I, I, I knew what a Tellius was. But whenever I do these background check, I like doing background check stuff. It's fun. Have you ever like... Like, don't you ever do it to like see like, have my parents ever been arrested?
1: Let's find out. Um <laughs> No, I have had never do anything like that. But I'm also not like Ancestry.com or 23 andme I think there's a lot of people who are just like big into like self exploration, kind of like my past, other people's pasts, things like that. And uh I, I just haven't done that a ton.
0: Well, so that's me. So I understand well, I think it's a lot of people. This I think pop- it's
1: most people. Like answers.com I- is a huge business.
0: So I think, um, anyway, I think this, yeah, I I, I didn't realize, I, I thought that someone could make 10 or $20 million a year from this. But now that I remember, Intellius, I think was doing hundreds of millions from this.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I ran into some another business like this that was looking for people's addresses. So when we had that, like, I, I came on the pod, I talked about somebody was stealing from us, and we knew who they were, we we're gonna find them and send the cops to their house and stuff like that. Well, I needed to find somebody's address. And so I started Basically, if you have like a couple pieces of information, a name, a phone number, stuff like that, there's these like websites that will come up. They'll say, hey, yeah, we'll give you this. We have a huge database of everyone's address. Just put in their info. And then you get like three steps down the funnel. It's like, oh, to unblur the address, you got to pay $9.99 a month. It's like, why do I need this monthly? I'm not doing this every month, but okay, sure. I really want this address. And like they're just like, I bet you'll forget to cancel this. <laughs> and it's like a standoff. Well, A lot
0: of times with those services, you can do a good enough job of if you actually cross-reference a ton of them, you can actually find the name on Blurred because they'll show you three like pieces. They'll show up. you like three possible Options, and like the third one, which is likely it is is blurred, but then you could like do some weird like triangulation and figure out which one it is It's kind of interesting I've done it before as well,
1: yeah, this is like sort of the dark parts of the internet, and all they're doing, like you said, is they basically take stuff that's public record or they take guesses, and then they um they aggregate it and put a fancy kind of search bar, and they just do a good job of ranking in Google or paying for for Google adwords, and that's their business model but uh you know I don't know too much about these, I've never thought about doing a business like this, but when I run into them as a customer i'm like hmm what's underneath this how the heck does this thing work and me too. it's pretty fascinating
0: me too and, and Mug- mugshots gonna, is a classic <laughs> i'm gonna do some interest on in a mugshot i'm gonna tell jake to do to look up mugshot stuff that's a great one um all right i think that's the episode right
1: yeah let's wrap it uh-huh.
0: yeah i feel like i can rule the world i know i could be what i want to I put my all in it, like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back.